In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. And for my wife and, and me, when we're struggling spiritually, 99.9% of the time, I'm not spending time hurting the word. We're not doing this. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Men in the Arena Army, Enjoy today's we episode. salute you. Hey guys, thanks for listening to another episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. I'm Jim Ramos. I'm here with our producer, co-host, and good friend, Dale Culver. What's going on, man? Just hanging out with you, buddy. Uh, you're blessed. You are blessed. So I don't Hashtag know, man. blessed. Yes, Hey, I I'm am. really excited about this guy. I got to tell you, uh, he calls himself the love doctor. And then just right there, I want to listen oh, to this yeah. podcast. Because <laughs> I'll tell you what, I mean, the, the love doctor. I mean, I think you have to carry that out. The love doctor. You can't just, like, say love doctor. So You got to get lower. <clears throat> the lo- the you could doctor. do it. I can't do it. I'm more of a, yeah. Yeah. Now, so I'm really excited. This is going to be a great interview today, and uh, I'm excited to get this guy this guy on. Guys, keep sending us in your reviews. Keep uh, sharing your hero stories. Let us know how God has used our ministry to transform your life. We celebrate you guys. You are the hero that God has put over your families, and so keep the stories coming. Really do appreciate it. Dale, do you have a man word for us today? I do, and I might have used this before, but I don't care. I'm going to use it again, and my man word is faithful. Hmm. Yeah, mm. I think in all things, men need to, that is a huge attribute that we need to uh, uh, be, have, and I think it speaks to our integrity as well, but being faithful, being there on time, being there consistently, doing what you say you're going to do, people can count on you, and, uh, you know, lately, I, I think there's been a couple times that I've said that I'm going to be somewhere to meet with you. And I'm running around trying to take care of a little seven-year-old. And as I'm getting there, like, a couple minutes late, I'm like, man, I'm not being faithful. <laughs> I'm running behind, and this is not well, like me. Yeah. No, that's so, good, man. Well, I mean, yeah, it, and I've said this before. Right? Well, and I've said this before. You know, we've been together working for about 18 years now. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would say my wife and you are the most faithful people I've ever met. So you guys really model that well. And I think in the context of the marriage covenant, guys, man, Stay faithful to your wife. I mean, you need to be a guy she can trust. When a woman does not trust you, uh, all hell's fury is unleashed. And so you need to be a man who she can trust. And so faithfulness goes much deeper than being at an appointment on time. It means 
you know, being the husband that you said you would be when you first got married? And is are you the man that your wife married? I'm meeting my wife and I are counseling mm. a lady today who 30 years ago married a man and she's not married that same guy anymore. Well, he's got the same DNA and he sleeps in the same bed, but he's a different guy. He's not faithful. Mm. And so uh, she's a broken woman today. So, hey, I want to I want to give a shout out today. Normally we do a hero story that you guys send in. But today we want to do something different. On Monday morning, I was uh, told that a good friend of mine, Glenn Hostetler, so that's Glenn with two N's, Hostetler with two T's, passed away of a massive heart attack. Glenn was uh, kind of a two o'clock in the morning friend of mine. He was a guy that uh, helped me run the men's ministry at our church as a volunteer. We're both volunteers in that ministry, actually. He's a guy who folded every newsletter we mail every month, folded, stuffed, prayed over every newsletter. He's a guy, it was an old school, 65-year-old guy, but he would hand me, once a month, he'd hand me a folded check, folded in three places, put it in my pocket, and supported this ministry every month, $100 a month. And he did not have a lot of money, but he did it every month. He did that faithfully, cooked all of our men's breakfasts. He ran a men in the arena team. And his team split into several other teams, and he ended up, he's coached those teams. And actually, one of his team members actually grew to the point of becoming one of our Men in the Arena board members. And so uh, he is a, a great guy. Glenn had his uh, uh, demons and his way of doing things. And uh, I don't think I, I don't think I've, in all the years I knew him, <clears throat> that I saw him not wearing bib overalls maybe two or three times. I mean, the bib overalls. Come on, Glenn. We did a whitewater rafting trip one time, and Glenn was wearing bib overalls. I mean, jumping in the river in bibs. And so uh, he'll ever be remembered for that, and uh, he's just a dear friend. And I, and actually, we were doing a Bible study together on heaven, and we were about two mm-hmm. months into it, and he was like, man, I just I don't know about this heaven. I don't have all the details. We got a lot of questions. I just can't wait to be there. And so uh, he beat us to the punch, and he's in heaven right now. And uh, mm-hmm. Uh, he is a hero to so many of us in so many ways. So I just wanted to say to those out there, uh, thank you, Glenn. And, guys, it's really important to have that 2 a.m. guy. You can call. And as different as Glenn and I were, he was a guy, probably one of my top five guys I would call at 2 in the morning. So uh, he will be greatly missed. And so I wanted to highlight him today. So I want to brag about our, our guest today, my new friend, Clarence Schuler, a.k.a. the Love Doctor. Clarence is uh, 67 years old. He's married to his beautiful wife of 35 years, Brenda. uh, Clarence and his wife, Brenda, are members of Family Life's Weekend to Remember Marriage Getaway Speaker Team, which, man, I've been to several of those. Those are great events for marriages. He serves on the Fatherhood Commission Board and was filmed as a marriage expert for one session of Oprah's Love Goals reality show in 2020. He speaks with Gary Chapman, who we've had on this show twice, at the five love languages and date night events. He's authored 10 books, including our focus book for today, Keeping Your Wife Your Best Friend. I want to introduce you to our new friend, Clarence Schuler. How are you doing, sir? Hey, Jim. Thanks so much for having me. And, you, and I just want to say, being with you and Dale... I've already been blessed. I don't know what's going to happen the rest of the morning, but I've already been blessed. Because uh, <laughs> I love meeting crazy people, and both of you guys qualify. Oh, man. Well, hey, if you're not a little crazy, you can't get through life without going insane. So <laughs> That's true. That's true. Well, you know, you are a guy who smiles easily, and uh, I really appreciate that. And so, and really, Clarence, you know, I, I've written a, about 11 books, 
and uh, you put your heart and soul into these things. And uh, thank you. You've mm. put it all out there. And I've read two of your books now, and you just put it out there. You're not afraid to tell the blood and guts of your own marriage, and I really do appreciate your vulnerability. This is a, a book that I think every guy should have in his library, and I don't say that about every book, but I think this is a great book for marriages, for marriages and guys who really want to keep their wife as their best friend. And so thank you for that. Well, thank you for having me, and it's, it's a – it's kind of a fun book. Yeah. You know, I, I try and share my stuff, but I try to just humor in it. But it's just kind of where guys live. And I found out that when you're transparent, guys can resonate with that. And I'm not proud of some of the stuff that I did that's in the book, but <laughs> God has used that to help me grow up, mature, but I'm, I'm still in process. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, it's a 251-page book or 254 pages, but it's really an easy read. I mean, it was, it, you know, you mm. tell stories. It's really a book written for men. You can tell in the style of the book yeah. it's written for men. And so, hey, I want to put you into what we call our rapid fire round. And what I'm going to do, Clarence, is I just pulled three concepts out of your book, and I want to ask you about them. And then I want to dive into your book because there's a two different sections of your book I want to address that I thought were really important for guys. So here, here, are you ready for this rapid fire round? I hope so. You know, I'm on Medicare, so I hope so. Anyway, <laughs> Do you have your AARP card? <laughs> I do. Oh, I do. Yeah, that's... <laughs> I'm proud oh, of it. Oh, <laughs> man. When I turn 50, I, I'm not kidding you. The next week I got an AARP thing in the mail. Yeah. And so, oh, too funny. Yeah. Okay, so, well, I think you're going to be okay with these because you wrote them in your book. So here's the first Here's the first phrase. Ready? And just explain this the best you can. Big picture. Okay. Big picture. Well, that comes from a basketball term. When I played college basketball in Chicago, I was a shooting guard. So I never saw a shot I didn't like, and I focused on me. And so when I saw orange, I fired. But then I transferred to another school where I was a point guard, and I had to learn how to sit the bench and because I had to learn how to play the, the role. It took me about a year. Seeing the big picture as a point guard, you see the whole floor. You see things before they happen. And so it kind of resonates when I'm trying to love to serve my wife or we're having to work through conflict. The big picture is I may hate conflict, but if we work through it correctly, on the other end, we're going to be closer. So that's really important. Or the big picture, because I had a pornography issue and I've been clean for about 30 years now. Uh, but here's the deal. The thing that keeps me going from back to p pornography was the big picture is that I see the long-term consequence. You know, there's always a short-term temptation. I still have those temptations. But I say, no, I have a non-emotional commitment to a very emotional temptation. So, so that's sort of the big picture, just looking long-term at my actions and the consequences of it. That's what it means. You know, it seems to me, and tell me if this is true or not, it seems to me that men are naturally gifted by God to see the big picture, where the women tend to see the details a lot easier. Do you see that as true, well, and do you see that as an aspect of leading your family that God has given to guys? You're dead on. Stu Weber wrote a book, uh, Tender Warrior, oh, I, yep. and it's all about that. We're pro. He 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 used he coined the term provisionary, and so we tend to see out down the road. That's how we lead our wives with the vision God gives us. You're exactly right. They tend to focus on detail right here. We're looking big picture. Yeah, you know, I was looking over yeah. here to the right because my I have that book just sitting here about three feet from me, and uh, so yeah. And yeah. Stu has Stu's actually in Oregon, and he lives up here in Boring, Oregon. So. No, I really appreciate that, and and that's something that guys need to understand, that we need to see the big picture, and when our wives are freaking out, a lot of times they, we need to just calm them down 
and help them to see the big picture. But if we don't see it, we're in trouble. So I appreciate that. Well, and if we don't see it, it's hard for them to follow if we're not leading. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's not a dictator leadership, it's a servant leadership. So that's important too. I appreciate that. Now, so this next phrase out of your book, I resonated with because my wife is a flight attendant. And so as a flight attendant, I really appreciate this. And, and I get a fly for free, and so I never know where I'm going to sit. And sometimes, if I'm lucky, I get to sit in 1A, baby, first class. And so, and so uh, the, the, the phrase I have out of your book I want you to explain for the guys. And this is really good, man. This is a, this is a word picture. I think a lot of these guys are going to love it. And here, here's, here's the phrase, first class service. Go. Well, I fly a lot, and I love to fly first class. But I got this from a guy named Bishop Greenup, who was speaking at T.D. Jake's event. And he simply shared that uh, when he was thinking God convicted him how to serve his wife first class, she happened to be in the shower when he was thinking about that. So he ran, uh, took a towel, ran, put it in a dryer, and had it hot. So as soon as she came out of the shower, he gave it to her, and she put it around herself, and she went, hmm. And he went, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, and went and jumped in bed, you know. <laughs> and uh, and he, said, he said later that night she thanked him as only she could thank him. But, uh, <laughs> but he said, you know, he, that's not his primary motivation. He said, but it's really looking how can you serve her mm. and how can you make her feel like she's really first class. Because for most of our wives, they want that security. So I look at things and how Brenda's wired and I serve her. So treating my wife first class is cleaning up the kitchen. Or is making a bed, you know, which I, I hate making a bed, but I do it for her. So those things make her feel, hey, he cares about me. And that's, that's the whole first class mentality. Oh, that's really good, man. Yeah, I think it was in this section of your book. I stole an idea. I put it in my calendar and I implemented it two days ago. And I'm going to tell you what I did. My wife's birthday is on October 23rd. And so in my mm -hmm. calendar, every day, every 23rd of every month, I put Shanna's birthday day. So two nights ago, okay, yeah, two nights yeah. ago, I said, hey, honey, happy birthday day. She goes, huh? I go, it's your birthday day. She goes, my birthday's in October, honey. I said, but your birthday's the 23rd, and today's your birthday day. Happy birthday day. And she looked at me, and she got this twinkle in her eye, and I knew I hit mm -hmm. a home run. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so uh, I really appreciate yes. that idea. It's in my calendar right now. And that's the goal of this podcast is that when guys hear these nuggets of truth, guys, act on them now because you're going to forget in five minutes. Well, that's so great because it's simple and it's doable and it's easy. Yep. But it makes our wives feel like a million dollars. And yeah. it's, it's the little things that make the big difference. No, I agree 100%. So I, I stole that out of your book, and so thank you for that. And uh, Well, I, I, I stole it from Bishop Greenup, so you know, <laughs> we, we're good. I know. Hey, the art of originality is not revealing your sources. <laughs> oh, man. Hey, so the next uh, phrase out of your book I want to talk about and I've said this for years. I, th I think that we are ledger people. And uh, in marriage, if we're a ledger person, it, it's a recipe for disaster. And so mm. the phrase I took out of your book, I'd like you to explain in depth, is short accounts. Well, it's in the context of conflict. You know, men and women are radically different. You know, I think mm. God has sense of humor made men and women. And so when we have conflict, conflict's not bad. In fact, conflict is reality. So to avoid conflict, you're actually trying to avoid reality. But if you handle conflict correctly, you really want to have short accounts. If you don't resolve something one day, you really make sure you want to resolve it the next, because if not, it tends to get worse. 
And Satan will even, ha will even help you with that. He will say things to your wife or things to you to make it worse. So you really want as much as possible, keep a short account with your wife in regards to conflict. And that just makes things easier. It lowers your stress level. You're happier. She's happier. If you have kids, they're happier because they, they feed off how mom and dad are getting along. So that's what I mean by short accounts. Yeah, I, I appreciate that statement about conflict. In 2000, you'll appreciate this, Clarence. In 2004, my wife and I went to our first Weekend to Remember conference. Okay. And we had been married at the time 12 years. <clears throat> and honestly, we were thinking, do we have a good marriage? Or do we have a bad marriage? I mean, what are what? I mean, we have nothing really to compare it to. We loved each other, but we had a lot of con. We, we are bickers. We are the Bickersons, right? And so, we went to this weekend to remember conference and we walked away going, "Oh wow, we are a great couple. We just mm. aren't great at conflict." And in your book on page forty-seven, you wrote this: "Resolving conflict may require that one individual make a mm. personal sacrifice for the good of the couple. The couple." has to ask what is best for us. So can you explain this a little bit more? At what point does a does where does compromise play into conflict resolution and at what point do you dig your heels in and fight? Well, let me answer this way then you may have to re-ask the question. All right. Conflict is not about winning. Conflict is about understanding. Yes. You know, if you're going to have a great relationship, you got to communicate, communicate, communicate. Assume nothing, talk about everything. So in conflict, we have difference of opinion. There's nothing wrong with that. You're really trying to figure out not can I win the fight or conflict, but what's best for us as a couple? How does this serve us as a couple? And that means, and like, like you just said, that means that we may have to figure out how to um, sacrifice for the good of the couple. And it's something you pray about, something you talk about. It's not tick for tat, but that's mm. what it is. So, so you're really trying to hear your spouse and what she's saying and, and process that and get, and so you, your goal is understanding. It's not always agreement, but 90% of the time, if you understand that will usually lead you to agreement, but what the understanding does, it alleviates the frustration, which allows you to keep a short account. You're also not threatened by that. So your man who's not threatened, she's not threatened and it helps you bring clarity to really solving the issue, whatever your issue is. So that's, that's what I think. There are some things that if you think you have to dig in on, then you really need to sit down and process, is this worth this? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, mm -hmm. one thing we tell couples a lot of times in deal with conflict, can you live with this or can you let that go? Some things are non-negotiable and, and the two of you have to figure that out. But I think that's that's what I would say to them. Well, one of the things I ask guys all the time, and I actually ask myself all the time, is this really a hill I'm willing to die on? You know, yeah. how, how, yeah. how, if you get to the point where you're putting your flag on the mountain and you're saying, this is the hill, man, it, it better be a big deal. She's cheating on you or, you know, and you've got to yeah, get that right. guy, you know, yeah. I mean, it's got to be a big deal, but uh, nor, but I really, what I wrote down here that I thought was really important, Clarence is, is it's not about winning. That's hard for a guy to right. hear that. It's yeah. about understanding and I'm going to remember that. That's really good. Well, here's the deal. In conflict, if one of you wins in the conflict, then you lose as a couple. Mm. So, again, if we go to the big picture, I'm about winning as a couple, not winning as an individual and losing as a couple. So, so it depends on what your priorities are. And, and I tell guys, if we're going to be a servant leader, I'd rather err on serving my wife 
and sacrificing than I'm trying to dictate and dominate my wife. Because if I'm focused on serving her, she's going to really feel secure and we're going to probably have less conflict. And it's going to be a lot easier for her to want to follow me because she knows I love her. So that's, that's free, but I thought I'd share it with you. Man, that is good, Clarence. That is why they call you the love doctor, man. That is <laughs> so powerful. I, so here's my takeaway. If I win, she loses, mm-hmm. we lose. Exactly. And I've seen this over and over again, Clarence, where you have a kind of a dominant or authoritative husband who's kind of old school in his way of uh, doing marriage. And what right. happens over time is his wife closes up. Her spirit closes. And now the man is caught in a situation where her spirit is closed. And mm-hmm. many times that marriage ends unless the husband has a different way employs a different method in loving his wife. And on page 100 of your book, you address this and you said, how do we reopen the spirit of our beloved spouse? And then you list several steps that you can take to do that. And I've, I've got those listed. I can read those to you and let you explain me those to me, or you can just go off the top of your head. What would you prefer? Why don't you read those to me? <laughs> yeah, nope. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So the first one here, I, and I didn't include all of them. Out of the 10, I included, I think, six I thought were very, very powerful. A couple of them were Bible verses. But the first one is become soft and tender with the person. Well, our, our natural tendency as men, because we do it in our manhood, is, and because what we're conditioned by society, is to be tough and possibly rough. Our voices are usually heavier. And so we can very easily intimidate our wives, even if our wives are strong women. Mm. And so it's not a sign of weakness. I tell guys, don't let people confuse your meekness for weakness. But when we're sitting down and talking to them in a way they feel safe, then that becomes a win-win. And then then we can work through restoring that situation. Because something you said earlier, if we close our wives, if our wives start closing themselves off to us emotionally, they actually start closing themselves off to us physically. Yes, absolutely. Which really impacts everything else because for a woman to be really free with us, she has to be free emotionally before she can be free physically. So there's a lot involved in that process. So our job is what I tell people when I do diversity consulting, my job is to create a safe space, a safe place where she can be free to say what she wants to say. And that's, that's important because again, my goal is not winning, it's understanding. Yeah, no, that's really good. So, Clarence, I don't want to sound too risque here, but in your counseling of other couples, have you discovered that if a couple walks in and one of their issues are her legs are closed, does that usually mean her spirit is also closed? I mean, do you see the sexual relationship and the the spirit of that woman in sync oh, with each other? Oh. Yeah, they, I mean, they, they don't separate. You know, uh, the emotion and the physical are connected. Um, the reason they call me the love doctor is because through the grace of God, I help a lot of Christian couples that have had affairs restore their marriages. Ooh. I mean, God, with his blueprint, we probably see 95% success. Wow. But, and in this book I read, um, The Dance of Restoration, uh, the female counselor in that, there's a male and female counselor, she says it's much more risky for a woman to have sex with a man than for a man to have sex with a woman. Yes. Because we tend to compartmentalize for her it's holistic. So how she feels emotionally, she has to open herself up to us emotionally before she can open herself up to us physically. And so 
it's much more risky for her. So sex is not just physical, it's, it's emotional. And I heard one guy speaking once and he said that um, sex is all about relationship and it really is. Yeah, I agree. I mean, how many young ladies or even middle-aged ladies are damaged today because when they're in their yeah. teenage years, they gave sex to get love that was yeah. never reciprocated, but it was right, manipulated, right. you know? And so this is a, a big deal. And so I see the same thing, man. When couples are struggling sexually, oftentimes it's because her spirit has somehow been closed off to him. Well, when you have problems in the bedroom, it's a reflection of your problems outside of the bedroom. Yeah, so absolutely. That's, 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 that's what it is. And, um, and well, anyway, I'll let you guys go. Well, no, no that's, I, I want to talk to our guys right now. Guys, I hope you heard this. If you're in a marriage right now and your wife consistently is refusing to make love to you and there's no abuse in her background, it's probably because you have closed her spirit. And so you need to begin a mission. You need to get on mission to open her spirit to you. Clarence? Yeah, and, and here's the deal. You don't have to be a rocket science. You know, if you feel you've closed her spirit, I think, you know, what you said, Jim, is great. I would ask her. I would mm. say, honey, I'm noticing we're not doing sexual like we used to do. Kind of, what's going on? And say, I really want to hear. And if she says, you know, say, honey, I don't know. That's why I'm asking, you know. And then let her tell you and listen to that. And but then here's the other thing too, because she has some responsibilities as well. Say, honey, what does it look like for you to have an open spirit? What does it look like for you to feel safe around me? And that way you you give the guy, you give her a target that the guy can hit. So that's really important in that relationship. If you're trying to help her to love you better, you gotta give her a target. This I feel loved by you when you do this, you know, and vice versa. And so, so that way you have a target you both can shoot for, you can hit. If you don't know that, then you're just guessing. Yeah, that's really powerful, man. Well, you've already mentioned this a little bit, but your second point in opening up the spirit of your wife is understand as much as possible what she is going through. You want to walk us through yeah. that? Well, because we're different uh, and emotions, and it's not true of all women, but it's true of a lot of women, their emotions are really tied with that. There are some guys the same way. But again, the key here is listening to her. So if she comes home, she works outside the home uh, or she stays with the kids, she, she homeschools or whatever. Then we ask her, how'd your day go? Ask her for three things that happened during the day and why they were important to her. You know, Gary Chapman talks about that. Mm -hmm. And then, but don't just listen for the facts because that's what we tend to do. At, listen to her tone and how she says it, which is something we typically don't do. And as you listen to that, say, well, and then you say, honey, I'm so sorry that today went that day. Hey, it, like, like it did today. Is there anything I can do to help your evening go better? You know, and then if you ask that, be willing to do it. It may be cleaning the kitchen. May, it depends on your kids, maybe changing diapers. But I don't know. But then make her day good. Maybe drawing a bath for her, giving her a massage with no agenda you know, and, and sometimes it, it, you know, for a woman, if we just hold her mm, without mm -hmm. any sexual intentions, that makes her feel really secure. And the more secure our wives are, the more they want to be intimate with us because they want to give back. And so, so that's important. So, so I think that's really important that we really hear her and, and, and you can even ask clarifying questions. Well, well tell me, honey, I heard you said this. 
and I, honey, I, don't, I don't may be dumb, but, but why does this make you feel this way? Help, help me understand what's going on here. And then as they learn to communicate better, you actually teach them how to speak woman, one, man, woman, one one to man, one one and stuff like that. So you better communicate, better understand. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does. You know, Emerson Egricks in his book, Love and Respect, talks about learning how to speak pink. Okay. And then she needs yeah. to learn how to speak blue. So trying yes. to learn what she's really saying. Well, you, you said something I thought was powerful, Clarence, and it's not among these points, but I want to make sure that I throw it in there so the guys can take note. You said make her feel secure. A lot yeah. of times a closed-spirited woman is because she's feeling insecure it could be financially it could be because of the house my wife was a disaster yesterday i'm like what is going on well she came home and we're pulling the carpet all the carpets pulled up we're getting ready to do our floors and we're painting the inside of the house and it got overwhelming for her for me i don't care about that stuff you know so that security is so important and so i want to move uh, do you have anything to add there well just that just one little point the house is a reflection of who she is. Yes. So when, when men come to the house, but especially when other women come to the house, the reflection of the house and how well it's kept is a reflection of what kind of woman she is. So so mm. it's that's so you deal with not just the house and the issues, you deal with part of who she is. So and, and her thought is I don't want I don't want any other woman to come into this house and see the house like this. I mean that's that's why when you have a company over for dinner which I hate to do now because you have to clean the whole house. Have people come over for dinner and say, preach it, you know? Yeah. So anyway, this is my three cents on that. Well, you know what, you know, it's funny, Clarence, what I tell guys and I speak is you are the leader of leader of your household, but you are not the leader of your home. She is. Exactly. That's, that's <laughs> her home, buddy. You're just living there. <laughs> yeah. And she says the temperature. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, you know, her decor. I mean, I don't, I, you know, most yeah, guys don't yeah. care about that stuff. And so I just, you know, guys, you're the leader of your household, but man, that's her home. That's her security. That's yeah. her nest. Yeah. And so, yeah. uh, you know, you got to give her some space. So uh, the yeah. third thing you mentioned here in opening the spirit of your wife, and I think this word is so powerful. I could just camp on this word, but I'm going to read the sentence. But the word to me is, guys, remember. You said, mm. remember, listen to what is being said, but not react to the words used. Try to hear the essence of what is said. And we all know this, guys, but we have to remember it's not about winning. It's about understanding. So do you want to unpack this more, Clarence? Well, this is huge for me and Brenda, you know, my marriage, because Brenda, my love language is words of affirmation and encouragement. And so if that's your love language, a lot of times tone is also a part of that. Yeah. So sometimes we unfairly interpret tone as equal to words. Well, my wife, that's the last thing on her list. So sometimes the way she talks to me, I hear the words, but I also hear the tone. And so she can say one thing, but her tone sounds to be contradictory. So we have to really work at that. So she's working at that. I'm working at not being so defensive. But it's a process in our communication. So that's why I'm saying remember tone is really important. Yeah. And so I had to be fair in listening to her and not equate the words to her tone. And at the same time, she's really working hard to make sure the words are consistent. And, but she's not work, walking on eggshells. So we both have to work at that in that process. So it, it's, and it's, it's work for both of us to do that. So, but the tone is huge because, and especially females, with us being bigger and stronger and our tone really says a lot to them in regards to 
setting a safe place for them to hear and respond to what's going on. So along the same lines as tone, uh, your fourth point is to eliminate hot buttons from our vocabulary. Can you explain that? Well, hot buttons can be like you always or you never, you yeah. know, or it could be mother-in-law, father-in-law, it could be, you know, whatever it is in the context. You know, if, if someone says you always, that's a gross exaggeration. But what it means, if Brenda says you always, it means she's really been wounded in this area and has not been healed. Mm. And so that means if she's saying you always say, then I have some work I need to do. And say, honey, and, and then we need to work at this process. And then we need to consistently begin to try and heal her in this area or help her heal herself or, or vice versa. So, so hot buttons can be really, it could be, you don't have a job. It could be our finances. It could be anything there that where you guys would not resolve the issue. Or if you haven't resolved the issue, you don't have a plan for resolving the issue. Most wives are willing to work if you have a plan to resolve the issue. And it doesn't mean we as a guy have to come up with a plan. It's something we can do together. So mm -hmm. I tell sometimes couples go out for coffee or dinner and just take a notebook or laptop or iPad and make a plan how you want to do this, you know, and, and then when you do it together, she loves working with you because part of our wives identity comes from who we are as a man. Mm -hmm. Now we're not wired the way, but our wives are. So all that's really important. Yeah. People don't tell you that in the popular media, but that's true. They are, they are wired that way. Absolutely. I thank yeah. you for that truth. You said something I want to, I want to jump on because if I don't jump on it, our guys may forget this. This is really important. And when you said this, it, it's my wife is that gal who will say you always or you never. And I always mm. would respond always never, you know, a little immature. But you just said something that really impacted me because if she uses the words always and never, you said it means that she's got an area where she's wounded and has never mm. been healed. So I'm listening to that and I'm hearing that. And I want our guys to hear what is being said here. If she's using words like always and never to you, it's speaking of her brokenness and possibly our failure as a husband. Can you explain? Well, one, we could have wounded her or her dad or some man in her life could have wounded oh, her. Oh, yeah. And so when we start repeating the same act on the surface, like she's experienced someplace else, or maybe it's just us, uh, then she's retreating. You mentioned earlier in the podcast about her emotionally retreating, yeah. which impacts her physical retreating. And so what we need to do, when if my wife would ever come and say to me, Clarence, you always do this and that, I would say, honey, because uh, my natural tendency is to make sure I can prove one time I didn't do it. So that way it's not always. But then I'm missing the boat. But then I have to go and say, okay, honey, why are you saying always? I, I'm not uh, sure that I always, but, but why, what, what's behind that? What's, the, what's going on here? Have I hurt you in this area? And, and just, just tell me, I can take it. Just tell me what happened and, and then let her do that. And then when she finishes, then I'll begin to say, okay, honey, I'm so sorry that I did that. Um, and then I said, if, and if I'm guilty, then I say, Hey, I don't ever want to do that again, but let's, but let's process. Hey, I'm giving you permission that when you see me begin to do that, you can just do that and remind me or say, hey, honey, remember you said to remind you, this is an example of this and that. And so you begin to work at it. 
but she has responsibility too to identify it. And then you have a responsibility to own it and you're working together to heal her. That gives her hope. You're learning your wife better and you're developing intimacy with each other, which is not so much sexual, but it's, it's, it's a closeness that helps her feel more secure with you. And then eventually she'll stop saying you always or never. And eventually she might say, Hey, you know, I used to say all you did this all the time, but now I'm so proud of you. Thanks for blah, blah, blah. Because we don't do that. That's going to lead her toward an affair. Or you toward an affair down the road. But doesn't get corrected. Possibly. Wow, that's so good. That is so I got to tell you, Clarence, we've had a lot of guys on this show talking about marriage. This is one of my most enjoyable interviews. You're saying some things that are grassroots that are, are real. And I really appreciate this. This is so powerful. So let's, let's so let's talk about this last point here and I want you to unpack it. I think it's very powerful. And you just alluded to it as we were talking about uh, a woundedness of our spouse. Let's unpack number 10, which is seek forgiveness and wait for response. Okay. This takes a real man to, yeah. to do this uh, because we want to be right. Uh, I hate saying I was, I was, I hate saying I was wrong, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. when I have to ask my wife for forgiveness, one, I can't make excuses. I have to just, I was wrong. I have to, I have to deal with that. You know, being a preacher, I'm really good at manipulating. So I have to really put that aside and just, and then, um, I have to say, I have to ask her, will you forgive me? Yeah. You know, the hardest thing I ever had to do was when I, I had a pornography addiction for about 11 years uh, before I got married, and then I carried into my marriage. And when I finally got convicted by God, I, well, I've been convicted, but when I finally, through His grace, had the courage and strength of the Holy Spirit to confess it to her, that was really hard. And I asked, will you forgive me? And um, that was kind of a big deal. And I had to wait on her timetable, her, her whatever, and then I had to be consistent in changing my actions. And so those are really big things to, to let her respond to. And we can't say it to her, but hopefully she has a godly female friend or our pastor or something will help her to realize that eventually she does need to forgive and not just go unchecked with her emotional deal, but that's really not our control. And sometimes we have to deal with the consequences of our actions that it may take her a while to work through a pornography issue or something like that that she has a process. Hopefully if it's just being late paying bills or something like that, that's a different process, but we need to let her respond without pressuring her because if she feels she's not being pressured, then she's more likely to forgive more quickly. Or if yeah. we pressure her trying to get her forgiveness, say it's been, hope it didn't go two or three days, but whatever, then she says, Oh, you don't really mean it. It's not real true forgiveness. And uh, so that's important. And then I think well, as we talk about forgiveness, because uh, this, I discovered this later, but Gary Chapman has this book about when sorry is not enough and he has five love languages of, uh, of apology. And so you need to find out from your spouse, when does she feel you're really sure that you're really genuine about asking for forgiveness? You know, mm. for some it's, it's, it's uh, making restitution. For some it's saying, I'm sorry. For, it's just, you know, but wherever it is, and so we have to kind of get to know our wives in that area. So I think that I think those are important. Yeah, my wife's uh, love language is acts of service. So, 
you know, it's pretty easy with her. She's like, hey, don't tell me, show me. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Pretty easy. And, and, and I think you hit the name, you hit the nail on the head. When sorry is not enough, asking mm-hmm. for forgiveness and being sorry are not the same thing. And so, yeah. guys, we need to realize saying sorry is not enough. We need to seek forgiveness and then respond accordingly. So I want to move into this last part of your book that I thought was really good because, you know, you can be the love doctor. You can write 10 books. But when on page 232, when you say, hey, guys, listen, I've been married 35 years. And in the last seven years of my marriage, I've been mm. working on these six principles. When I read that, I stopped. And I pulled out my pen and I started writing because I'm like, okay, this is this is important stuff. So I want to spend the last half of our show unpacking these things because these are things that you, an expert on love, an expert on marriage, a man who's been married, all, you know, round in the corner on four decades, you know, you get this and you're learning this. So this is really important for our guys to understand. So I want to unpack these six principles that you're learning. And the first one is on two, page 223, you wrote this. My first practice is encouraging the couple to read and apply the truths of the Bible together. It's the most powerful thing I do. I counsel couples all the time, you know, Christian couples, non even non I've got non-Christian couples to start doing this. And I just led NBA couple to Christ this past October, getting them to use this principle. But what's amazing as, as Christians, we, we, we have some spiritual weapons. One is reading the word and, and, and it was just so important. But when it's something, when I get a couple reading the word aloud together, they alternate verses of how they want to do it. It's just so powerful because they hear each other. Uh, the other thing I have them do when they're reading the word is when they finish it, I have the husband as a servant leader ask his wife which verse out of the chapter resonate the most with her mm. and why. And then I have her say, ask him, and he tells. And I tell you, it's usually going to be different verses. It's not a right or wrong deal, but they're developing spiritual intimacy because they're getting to know each other spiritually. And so it's, and it's something powerful about the Word of God when you hear it and when you hear your mate read it and when you hear her explain her relationship with God in context of the Word. Because there's a spiritual element to our marriage, a supernatural part, which is Christ and the Holy Spirit So and the Word of God. So... Um, that's the first thing I do. And, and for my, and for my wife and, and me, when we're struggling spiritually, 99.9% of the time, I'm not spending time hurting the word. We're not doing this. Hmm. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting, Clarence. I'm, my background theologically is probably more on the charismatic spectrum. I'm not mm, in okay. a, what I would call a charismatic church now, but I was discipled in a charismatic church. And so I've seen the you know, I was born and raised Catholic as well. So I've seen this huge range of Christianity. And mm. what I have found is the Bible, there's something about the Bible that when we implement and, and dive into the Bible, it is a game changer. It is yeah. a game changer. And so yeah. the yeah. second thing that it may be even, the second thing may be even more of a game changer than the first thing. And before I say what the second thing is, I'm going to go to a doctor, a book, a quote in Dr. Phil's book, Relationship Rescue, where he says that praying lowers a couple's divorce chances to one in 10,000. Yeah. So listen, yeah. if you if you want to save your marriage, if you want to change your marriage, if you do this one thing, 
this may be the only thing that you need to do. And so practice number two, I'm going to quote your book here. You said practice number two trait revolutionizes a relationship, and it is praying with your spouse. Well, when I tell couples, I, I have them do two things. I have them read the word together out loud. I give them, this is my homework assignment. I, have, I actually send them through the book of Philippians. I oh, say, yeah. read it for a week, a chapter a week, a chapter a day for a week. And there are only four chapters. And so when they, you know, they'll read some chapters twice. But, but I say, after every time you read, I want you to pray and, and hold hands while you're praying. I'm only asking you to pray three to five minutes. I'm not asking you to pray four or five hours, just three to five minutes about your, your, your relationship, your finance, whatever, whatever it is, your kids, whatever, and about your marriage. But I want you also to hold hands. Mm. And when couples come back, and I check with couples in a week, and when they call me back in a week, I say, how did it go? And, and probably 85 to 90% said it changed our marriage. Some say, I don't have to come back and see you anymore. You yeah. know, and, and but they said the wife said I have feel so much security because when we're touching, holding hands, there's something special about the touch of a husband and wife when they're praying. And then when you hear each other pray mm -hmm. a byproduct, you begin to have patience with each other. When you begin to pray together, you begin to bond your spirits together. And, and, and it's just it, you communicate better. And, and research shows actually Catholic research shows that. The, the key thing to having a happy marriage, the most important aspect of having a happy marriage is praying together. That, if that's the number one thing and having a great marriage or a happy marriage, more than anything else, is praying together. Research showed that. So, that's, that's, so yeah, it, it's, it's incredible. Yeah, that, it's, I, over and over and over again, I see that statistic about marriage. People that pray together have a one in 1,000, one in 10,000. I mean, yeah. if marriage is a 50-50 chance in this day and age of being married forever, and if you're really committed and you know praying together is the is the ingredient, I think you would do it. So, uh, Well, you know, yeah, I, I quote Dr. Phil all the time. I was shocked because <laughs> up to I saw that research, family life's research said it was 1 out of 1,200 couples, which was still yeah. pretty good. Well, that's what but I 1 heard. out of 10,000, um, that's not divorce insurance, but it's pretty close. Well, about 15, 20 years ago, I, I was reading, and it was, it, was, it was either Newsweek or some magazine like that, and, and the same stat came up in a secular magazine, and I thought, that's really, really interesting. So I got to tell you, Clarence, practice number three made me laugh out loud. It was the one point in your book I laughed. I just thought it was so funny, and I could just imagine myself saying this to my wife, but it really impacted me on a deep level because I think this should be our goal and uh, do you do you remember what practice three is off the top of your head? That funny saying. It's a funny saying. Oh, uh, um, <laughs> he's a pleasure to be married to. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine myself saying that to my wife. I'm a pleasure to be married to. Can you walk us through that <laughs> phrase? That is a powerful phrase. Well, I'll speak for family life. Yeah. You know, Saturday I'm supposed to do like four talks. That's four hours. I was exhausted. I, I'm talking to my buddy's wife, the other speaker's wife, because they send out one guy in, in, uh, in a couple. And so uh, her husband grabs his manual, goes up and does my talk. I couldn't believe it. No one's ever done that for me, family life. And uh, I said, I can't believe he did that. She said, he's a pleasure to be married to. 
So I'm coming home, flying home. My wife picks me from the airport, and I'm wondering, does Brenda think I'm a pleasure to be married to? So I finally give enough courage, and I kind of say, Brenda, do you think I'm a you know pleasure <laughs> to be married to? And she looks at me and she smiles and she says, "You all right?" You know, and uh, <laughs> normally, <laughs> normally I would have said your mama, but I, but I. <laughs> But uh, I knew I had work to do, so I just began to work at it. And so one of my goals is for her to tell me someday, hey, you're a pleasure to be married to. Now, she may never say that, but that's what I'm working on. And so if I'm working to be a pleasure to be married to, it's, it's really serving her uh, is my, it's my first agenda. Hmm. Because if she is God's gift to me, how I treat the gift is a reflection on how I feel about the giver. Oh. So how I treat her is impacts my worship and everything else. So I can't say I love God and I'm mistreating Brenda. Can you say that again? How I treat the gift? How I treat the gift is a reflection of how I love or feel about or worship the giver. Wow. that I'm writing this down. So, so, because... so, so that impacts my worship. So how I'm loving Brenda is a reflection of how I'm worshiping God. That is really good. You know, you know, women are, are so driven by relationships and they're often together uh, dialoguing. And my wife will come home at times and say, oh, man, that marriage is a mess or that marriage is a mess. Mm. And I just thought, you know what? I want to be the guy that when my wife's talking to her circle of friends, I'm the guy who, who she's saying, man, I, I guess I must have a good one because we don't have those issues. You know, that that's when you're a pleasure to be married to. Yeah, Gary Chapman's wife, Carolyn. She has said that she, she has said, and she's very straightforward. She doesn't sugarcoat anything. And she said, you know, he's almost a perfect guy. Wow. That's huge. I said, wow. wow. I mean, that I'm like, for her to say that, I'd say that's, that was pretty impressive. That's impressive. So, so practice yeah. number four, I'm going to let you explain this. And I thought this is really cool. Developing a consistently adjusting attitude. Well, if you're married for a long period of time, you will find that you and your wife both change. Uh, you can change in how you communicate. Like we know a lot of people cause we speak a lot and do stuff. And she would say, you know, Susie said such and stuff. And I'm like, okay, you know, four or five Susie's, which, which one are we talking about? And, or she'll get frustrated with me because I would start speaking out loud about something. And then all of a sudden I will solve it in my head and I'll stop mid sentence drives her insane. Well, what are you, what were you saying? And so we have to kind of make adjustments or, um, you know, I used to work at a Christian organization. She stayed at home with the kids. Uh, I started a nonprofit and eventually uh, she started working for a crisis pregnancy center, became an executive, very successful. So I washed the clothes cause I'm home. So during writing breaks, I'll wash the clothes. I'll even dry them, fold them, stuff like that. Uh, and we have to make these adjustments. And, and so, for example, one night I'm, I'm hanging up her clothes that don't go in the dryer. I'm thinking I'm doing pretty good. And she's got all this stuff in front of the, the bathtub. So I say, honey, you got all this stuff in the tub. I can't get to the hang this stuff up in here. And she looks over my side of the room. She said, yeah, both stuff in your dresser, in front of your dresser, you got a mess there too. And I'm going like, no, she didn't. And so <laughs> here we have an opportunity to go to war or is this something I need to fight about? And it's one of those rare occasions that I heard the Holy Spirit speaking and say, you know, she's tired, you're tired. Do you think it's worth it? 
and, and you just kind of let it go. But that was a change and adjustment for me in that process. So it's just something you have to work at. So, so you, you find yourself changing in little ways and you just make adjustments to those changes. Well, and speaking of adjustments, practice number five goes with adjustments. And you wrote, uh, practice five was birthed from developing an attitude adjustment at, that has been to simply say to myself, when she asked me to do something, especially something I do not want to do, I love my wife. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I don't know about you guys, but when I finally met my wife, um, I was in grad school. I was 29. And if I just saw her crossing the cap campus, I would start singing, yes, Jesus loves me. You know, I was just you know, so... <laughs> You know, she'd be late, getting ready to leave to go. It didn't bother me. I would miss ball games, you know, just to be with her or whatever. And, you know, you, you're crazy about her, right? And then you're married for a while and you get used to her beauty. You get used to having sex with you. Get, you, you begin to take it for granted. And I, I, I actually, I wasn't using profanity, but I found myself saying, talking to her in ways I never talked to her mm. when we were dating, engaged, or early years of marriage. And God has convicted me about, you know, this is the way you're gonna treat the gift I've given you. And I just really, the Holy Spirit just nailed me. And I just, I felt so bad and it just changed the way, the way I treat her. So when she asked me to do stuff, I'm doing it because I asked God to get married. I asked for this woman. And so I need to be faithful and take care of her no matter how I feel about it. But usually if I do the right things, the emotions change. So anyway, but that's that's kind of how I do it. So it's, it's really it's really about commitment, which is not based on emotion. It's uh, it's based on my love for God. Hopefully, yeah, that's so powerful, man. I appreciate you sharing these things that you're learning. Practice number six is the moment we've all been waiting for. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> on page two hundred forty, you said it's simply uh, being sexually sensitive to your wife. So I want you to explain that and unpack that for our guys. I mean, I know what it means. I read the book, but what does that mean to be sexually sensitive? Well, you know, for most guys, you know, uh, one of my friends is a sex therapist, and I don't know how he figured it out. I'm not asking him. But he says, you know, we can be ready to have sex like zero to ninety seconds. We're we're ready to we're ready to go. You know, our wives on average is zero to thirteen minutes, and so uh, it's it's totally different. But the way God has wired those 13 minutes, she really needs us kind words. She needs foreplay. She's a lot of things to help her get emotionally ready, but how we've been treating her all day is going to impact her. But a lot of times we just want to touch her, kiss her and have sex and have our orgasm and we're, and we're done. Whereas that's not really fair to her. Yeah. It, you know, it takes a long time to get the engine running, but once it's up and running, it's, it's ready to go for a while. I mean, she can have multiple orgasms at one encounter. So, so that's where communication in our sexual relationship is not like James Bond or, or Shaft or all this stuff like that. It's not like that. It's, it's, it's a process of learning and how she's been treated all day impacts her. So, and so and it's also bringing pleasure. I think it's our responsibility as a husband to make sure our wife has an orgasm mm. where she's not having to fake it. And, and, and but it, remember that orgasm is is physical, but it's also relationship oriented. Yes. And so so she does not feel like the only time we touch her, she's like a piece of meat. Because 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 sometimes guys just get don't want to do the foreplay; they just want to have sex. And so I, I think it's important all of the words and caressing and hugging her, 
you know, for, for example, the average woman wants to be hugged somewhere between 10 and 12 times a day, you know, in a non-sexual way. And so I tell guys, you need to do that. Now, you need to ask your wife what would she like and don't mark it, don't count out loud, don't mark the refrigerator, but just, you know, that's really important. Yeah. And, and so that makes her feel loved and appreciated and wanting to give herself. But remember, in this book, The Dance of Restoration, um, a woman has to open herself up emotionally to us before she can open herself up physically to us. And I think it's really important because we penetrate them. We don't know what it's like to be penetrated. So that's a whole different ball game, you know, when we're doing it. So, so I think we need to have some sensitivity in that and, and, and loving her in that process. I, I don't know, but those are just, it's revolutionized the way we have sex and my whole attitude towards sex to my wife. And, and, you know, I think try to just do a better job at that. Well, you know, it's interesting, Clarence, if there's one thing that I would like to say to the younger guys listening, and if there's one thing I learned over the course of my marriage, and I think this is what I hear you saying as well. When I was a young guy, I could not get enough sex. My, mm -hmm. And my wife, in some le on some levels, was an object, right? I just needed to mm -hmm. have this release, and she was a, good enough to let give that to me. But as I matured in our relationship, I realized, man, I need to serve her sexually. Mm -hmm. It's about mm -hmm. her sexual mm -hmm. needs. And if... Mm -hmm. If I were to track our lovemaking over the last 30 years, I would say that has been a complete shift for us to where mm -hmm. it's now about her. And, and I mm -hmm. think that's what you're saying. If we could go tell these young yeah. guys anything, go, hey, your job is to serve her even sexually. And so sexually serve her. Well, you know, when we sexually serve her, the very thing she wants to do is please us sexually. Yep. Because when a woman gives herself to you, she's giving all she's got. Yep. That's why when we're in pornography or someone has an affair, she feels less than a woman. That, that almost destroys her. And so she, you know, when she marries us, she wants to be intimate. She wants to have kids. She wants all that stuff. But she wants to be, she wants to feel the same way with us when we're dating and in our early marriage and stuff like that, as opposed to feel like we're taking her for granted. So, so that's really, really important. Yeah, you, it's it's... And, and they and they actually, we were married 35 years. She actually wants to have sex more now than they, when earlier we first got married. And maybe it's kind of what you just said, but she, I mean, she, she wants to initiate, she wants, I mean, which is great. And sometimes I have to have the headache say, no, stop, but leave me alone. You know, I know but, I I, I, I'm, I'm embarrassed. I'm, I'm embarrassed to say the same thing. I'm, I'm proud of it that my wife is, is like that, but I'm embarrassed. Like sometimes yeah. I'm like, yeah, I'm just kind of not thinking about it right now. I'm like, why am I not thinking about it right now? So no, that's really oh, powerful, man. man. So the, I, I yeah. said there were six principles that you're learning or six practices, uh, but there are actually seven. And so yeah. the last one is, and we've mentioned this a little bit mm. in the show about if, if you're both healthy, but in some instances, you know, one out of three women has brought abuse into the relationship she's been abused and so your yeah. seventh pr practice is understand your spouse may have been abused and so can you walk us through that well yeah you know i've uh, i've seen firsthand how females can be abused and i think even my wife not physically but and i think very unintentionally um you know verbal abuse and um, and I think sometimes because when something happens, 
the response instead of being like a five cents response is like a ten dollar one. You go like, whoa, I, I know I did something wrong, but that seems a little bit over the top. Mm. Honey, talk to me about this. Did I do something or what's going on? And if there's a safe place you can have a dialogue, things come, things come up. I think you also need to be students of your in-laws, not to criticize them, but be aware of how your spouse is with your in-laws. That'll tell you a whole lot, you know, uh, before you get married, but also after you get married. And sometimes you have to step in between that and, and help. The other thing, too, that I found, we did this book, um, Choose Greatness, 11 Wise Decisions Brave Young Men Make. When I, We didn't put it in the book, but when I was doing research, especially sexually, the research shows that that one out of six guys has been sexually assaulted yep, yep. by a male that he trusted, father, uh, cousin, brother, whatever. The research, in actuality, my counseling, I, I probably say it's one out of three as opposed to one out of six. So, so sometimes if, if the, the man's been abused, he may carry that abuse out with his yeah. wife and he can have sex, but not intimacy. And so there's sometimes where he may need to, and it's not a sign of weakness, talk to her and say, hey, you know, I, I grew up seeing a lot of pornography or I was abused and, and I know how I'm acting out, it's not the way I want to do it. And honey, can you help me with this? Not to make her the doctor, but at least having that conversation to talk yeah, it really be a free, intimate time to do that. So, uh, so, I, so I think it's important. Well, that's this is great, man. I really appreciate this interview, Clarence, and taking the time. Super powerful. Where can uh, guys get your resources? Well, they can go to my website. It's just my name, Clarence, not Clarence, but Clarence uh, <laughs> Schuler. <laughs> Last name is S H U L E R. So, ClarenceSchuler dot com. They can go there. Go to my website. If they go to my website, I have a free video series. It's called Common Mistakes Most Couples Make. And they get 13 free, free videos to help them in their marriage relationship. Or if they're dating, it would help them as well. And I've even had singles go there. So uh, so I think it's a really neat um, web, I mean, free a video series they can get. Uh, so I, I would just send them to my website. There's a lot of free videos on conflict, how to work with biblical forgiveness, there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff on the website. We're actually going to be updating it probably in May or June. So okay. that's where I would send to get my resources. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate it. The book that we're talking about today is Keeping Your Wife Your Best Friend by Dr. Clarence Schuler. It's been a pleasure to have you on. And and guys, what are you going to do today in response to what you've learned? And this is going to be real simple. Uh, this is your boots on the ground for this week. I want you to ask yourself this question. Are you a pleasure to be married to? But then I want you to ask your wife that same question. Are you a pleasure to be married to? And and listen to her tell you her thoughts. And then how can you be more of a pleasure to be married to? I think that'll be a life-changing uh, event for you guys. And I've given you another great idea for a date night. So uh, make sure you do that, guys. That'll be your action item for this week. So Dale Culver, take us home, brother. Yeah, guys, we want you to head on over to minintherena.org and pick up your free book from Jim. And, and when you're there, leave us a positive review for the podcast. You can just click on the Contact Us link. And if you do that, we'll send you some swag. Until next time, fill the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out. And be a man. 
You've been listening to the Men in the Arena podcast. If you hunger to be your best version, then join thousands of men from around the world in our Men in the Arena forum on Facebook. This is the best place to have open discussions around the topic of biblical manhood. Make sure to explore our website at menintheArena.org, sign up for the weekly equipping blast, and take advantage of our many free resources designed to help you become your best version of a man. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. Remember, when a man gets it, Everyone wins. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men for around the world and find out the type of dad you are.